Good morning, church. Um, I am wearing corduroy this morning, prophetically calling in the fall into Texas. I wish it was something, you know, holy like that. Really, my wife's out of town, and I just wore corduroy. I know you're not supposed to in summer, but she would have kept me from doing it, but I'm doing it. And then I was driving to church and praying that the AC was really fixed and going to be cool. Uh, so... I, um, I want to take a moment to announce some mini connect groups, M-I-N-I, many shortened, abbreviated connect groups that we're launching in September for our church. I'm super excited about it. You know, professor and author Brene Brown, um, she says a lot of great things, but one thing that I love is a story that she told of these women in a remote village in Africa who spent their evenings in the river washing clothes. And... It was there in the sunlight, they would swap stories, and they would laugh and ask questions and check in with each other, laughing until they cried. It was true community, and the village at some point became more resourceful with their planting and their, their crops and their harvesting, and, and they gained resource into their village, and suddenly their huts became homes, and these homes began to have toasters and refrigerators and washing machines. Um, even prior to that, though, when they were stuck in the throes of poverty, they had something that most developed nations don't have, community. They found community down by the river washing, washing clothes. And I'm grateful for resource, by the way. I'm grateful for AC this morning, right? I'm, I'm not at all trying to say that we shouldn't have resource. Uh, but what they found as they had clean water from the wells, and they had washing machines and all the luxuries that resource can provide. Um, once nearly every home in the village had its own washing machine, the prevalence of depression skyrocketed among the women. What happened? Well, they believe that what happened is the more resource a person gets, the more walls he or she puts up, and the more lonely they become. Now, again, I'm not advocating that we just get rid of all of our resources. I'm really grateful that we have homes and we have vehicles and we have AC. I'm, I'm grateful for the resource. We are extremely blessed in the United States of America, and I'm not at all saying that we need to sell everything that we have. But I am saying that only those who prioritize community down by the river will live in community. Society wants to pull us out of the river, out of the meeting place, the gathering space, that, that place where we can become one and we can talk and we can hang out and we can laugh together and we can cry together. Only those who prioritize community will actually live in community. So my request to you is that you'll do something about connect groups this fall. You'll not just celebrate it as we announce it or you say it's for someone else, but you actually take the initiative to be more like Jesus. If we want to be more like Jesus, we're going to have to make the choice to order our schedules along the lines of doing life with one another. That's what Jesus did. He's not asking you to, to get 12 people and just like camp out for the next three years and eat together. I mean, he did that. He's not asking you to do that. He's asking you to maybe go to a connect group once a month. And I know for some of us introverts, that feels like the weight of the world, but there's life in community. There's life. That's who we are as a church. We are a church that values community, and we're providing that through 
connect groups. We believe that connect groups are the launching pad into a life of community. So this round, we have all kinds of interest-based groups. Um, we have, let's see, Women's Fellowship that's meeting once a month. We have a men's group that's going to be doing different manly things like throwing axes and really cool stuff. Uh, breakfast at Kirby Lane one time. That's just a variety of things that the guys are just going to get together and just be men. Just, I'm excited just to get together and be men. Um, we also have a hiking group. There's a, for men and women, if you like to go hiking. Now, we, we're using the word hiking because it's a cool word. But if you prefer the term walking, this group is for you. Right, uh, Chris and Leah? I believe that this, this hiking is not going to be too strenuous. Most of it will be paved. It's not, you're not going to be climbing mountains. We do have a group in the church that does that. I went. I made the mistake of saying yes <laughs> to that. And it was, Mark, how many miles was that? 1,400. 1,400 miles. Yeah, so we do that as well. That's not, that's not this group, but, but you can start in this group and work your way up to the Mark group, okay? And uh, I, I will do that group again when this cooler weather comes in. Um, what else do we have? We have young adults. We also have, yeah, young adults. Let's go. We have um, a book club for time management. It's, you're reading a book about time management. If you feel like you don't have time, You see what I did there? <laughs> if you feel like you don't have time to meet once a month to learn about time management, this is for you. All right. We have, we have several of them. And in fact, if you want to lead a small group, we, we let anybody lead a group around here. You just have to have some accountability. Um, let us know who's showing up. You open up with prayer. You can do, do whatever you want. Just, just get with us. We're all about helping you reach your full potential and awakening purpose inside of you. So... Leaders of Connect Group is not the elite few, it's you. So we want you to join, we want you to lead, so please, please do that. Um, do we have a QR code for these groups? If you want to sign up for Connect Group or see what we have to offer, you'll scan this QR code. You can probably also do that out front at the information desk. I'm sure we have a QR code or some information out there. Uh, there are lots of things to browse through on that page, and so get the Get the link and then put it away because we're going to move into the sermon. And I've got some stuff to share with you this morning. Amen? Amen. All right, we're in a series, the series called Back at It. And getting back in the rhythm of prioritizing our relationship with Jesus Christ, putting him first. You sense the theme that has been flowing throughout our services on Sundays, seeking first the kingdom of God, Matthew 6.33, and everything else will be added to you. Now, last week... I taught a sermon called Burn the Ships. It was a great message. I think it was a great message. If nothing else, it was for me. It was an incredible message about just going forward, following God's plan for your life, like not being distracted. Burn the ships. Don't create a way of escape, right? Um, just, just keep moving forward. Last week, we hit hard the concept that we need to stay the course Keep pursuing the thing God has set before you, even when it hurts, even when it's not comfortable. I said last week that more times than not, if you build a fallback plan, you're going to fall back. 
I hope you were inspired last week to keep going. But this week, I want to settle in for the conversation a little bit more because it's a little more nuanced than what we put on the table to eat last week. There's a little more discussion that needs to be had. I actually went to lunch with a a family in the church afterwards, and we were talking about the sermon, and I just felt the Lord dropping things into my spirit to share with them that had to do with burning the ships and what plan A and plan B looks like. And uh, you guys are going to, you heard this sermon Sunday after church last week because God was already starting to form it in my heart. Now, I want to circle back to the conversation because, like I said, it's a little more nuanced and probably more complex than even we can unpack today. All right. The sermons aren't meant to be all that you get from the Word and Holy Spirit in your week. This is just to get you hungry and thirsty and set you on a course and a path where you can go pray about it and go read more scripture. Okay. So I may create for you, by the end of this sermon, more questions than you walked in with. That's not the sign of a bad sermon. That's a sign of a good sermon to get you to want to go dig in deep. And, and furthermore, Stefan, you better check me because you don't know if I'm right on everything. I like to think I'm right, but you better make sure that I'm right. I'm accountable for what I speak and what I preach, but you know what you're accountable for? What you allow into the gates of your life. So you take what I'm handing out today and, and don't just say, oh, that was a good sermon, Pastor. You you get your Bible and you call your family to the table and you say, we're going to inspect this man of God. And you'll see I'm right. And if I'm not, if you find that I'm in error, you know, the Bible actually talks about how we address that. That's another sermon. I won't get into that. But you, if you find that I'm in error, your job, your duty is to come and talk to me because I don't want to be in error. And maybe I've made a mistake. It's your responsibility to make an appointment with me and sit down one-on-one and say, Pastor, this is what I think. And I'll say, oh, really? Maybe you're right. Maybe I made a mistake. It's not your responsibility. (laughs) I call it passive-aggressive social media ministry. (laughs) Anyway, that's not in my notes, and I need to keep going. Our pursuits should be filled with wisdom, not just passion. I want you to be on fire. I want you to burn the ships. I want you to run towards what God has for you. I want the passion meter just going off the charts. But let's not have passion without wisdom. It takes both. We need wisdom as well. And plan B... I know I really gave plan B a bad rap last week, but plan B is not always the enemy. Plan B is not always the enemy. In fact, sometimes, and I hope to convince you today, that sometimes your plan B is really God's plan A. Please stand with me in reading of God's word. We have 18 verses to get through. I chose a lot for all the people who didn't open the Bible this week. Wanted to make sure and get in your daily quota. We're going to go to Genesis chapter 22. Genesis 22. It says, God tested Abraham and said to him, Abraham. And he said, here I am. And God said, take your son, 
your only son Isaac, whom you love, and go to the land of Moriah and offer him there as a burnt offering on one of the mountains of which I shall tell you. So Abraham rose early in the morning. So Abraham, that word so, man. I don't know if you know what is wrapped up in S-O. So God just told Abraham to take the son that he loves up to the land of Moriah, right? So he did it. So uh, don't you don't you just kind of wish that your obedience was just a so obedience? God said it, so I did it. So Abraham rose early in the morning, saddled his donkey, and took two of his young men with him and his son Isaac. And he cut the wood for the burnt offering and arose and went to the place of which God had told him. On the third day, Abraham lifted up his eyes and saw the place from afar. Then Abraham said to his young men, stay here with the donkey. I and the boy will go over there and worship and come again to you. And Abraham took the wood of the burnt offering and laid it on Isaac, his son. Isaac, the scholars debate how old he is. Um, most likely he's in his 20s and 30s. We picture him from the text as boy, as 11 or 12, but most scholars believe um, that chapter 21 and 22 of Genesis covers a 30-year span. So he's somewhere older than 12 and younger than 35, okay? Old enough to carry the big stack of wood that his dad is about to sacrifice him on. Abraham took the wood of the burnt offering and laid it on Isaac, his son. What would you think about that, Jordan? Carrying the wood. Not only am I about to sacrifice you, you're going to carry that wood for me. And Isaac said to his father, Abraham, my father. And he said, here I am, my son. Verse 7, he said, Behold the fire and the wood, but where is the lamb for a burnt offering? And Abraham said, God will provide for himself the lamb for a burnt offering, my son. So they went, both of them, together. When they came to the place of which God had told him, Abraham built the altar there and laid the wood in order and bound Isaac, his son. At what point did Isaac say, Ah, Dad? He bound Isaac, his son, and laid him on the altar on top of the wood. Then Abraham reached out his hand and took the knife to slaughter his son. Because that was plan A. That is the plan that God told him to pursue. That was his plan A. But the angel of the Lord called to him from heaven and said, Abraham, Abraham. And he said, here I am. He said, do not lay your hand on the boy or do anything to him. For now I know that you fear God. Seeing you have not withheld your son, your only son, from me. And Abraham lifted up his eyes and looked, and behold, before him was a, a ram caught in a thicket by his horns. And Abraham went and took the ram and offered it up as a burnt offering instead of his son. Thank God for some plan B's that come into our life. So Abraham called the name of that place, the Lord will provide. As it is said to this day, on the mount of the Lord it shall be provided. And the angel of the Lord called to Abraham a second time from heaven and said, By myself I have sworn, declare, declares the Lord, 
because you have done this and have not withheld your son, your only son, I will surely bless you and I will surely multiply your offering as the stars of heaven and as the sand that is on the seashore. And your offering shall possess the gate of his enemies and in your offering shall all the nations of the earth be blessed because you have obeyed my voice. Father, we come before you today. I thank you. I thank you for our time together. I ask that your word would just speak hope to us, speak life to us. In the name of Jesus, I pray. Amen. Amen. You may be seated. So Abraham was told to take his son Isaac up to Mount Moriah, and he was going to sacrifice him there. That's what the angel of the Lord said. So he did. So he got the donkey, and he got the firewood, and he got two manservants, and he got his son, and he headed off to the place where God had told him to go, the plan A. And he gets there in that moment, and I don't know that we can adequately, adequately put ourselves in the shoes of Abraham. I mean, maybe we can think about it, we can try really hard, but this promise from God was laying on the altar and he had the knife in his hand ready to sacrifice for no logical reason. For no reason that made sense. God was asking him to do something that Abraham could not put the pieces together. Two plus two did not equal four. Do you hear me? The, the plan A just didn't make any sense, but he did it because God said to do it. And then he hears a noise as there's a shuffle behind him and he raises his hand, the angel of the Lord calls out to him and tells him to stop. I, I, I just imagine, now I may not know what it's like to sacrifice the child that I love, but I do know what it's like to hear God's voice just the nick of time. Get the next step, the next direction, just when I thought he wasn't going to show up. You know, I can, I can just imagine, in my mind at least, the temptation to, uh, do, do I move forward? Do I stop? Do I put it down? Do I look around? What, what am I doing? And, and, and God says, Abraham, Abraham, stop. Then the plan A shifted. But I love the fact that Abraham pursued plan A with passion, with purpose, with intention, like, he wasn't walking slow steps. Do you know what I mean? He wasn't taking his sweet time going to this town and this town, hoping that God will change his mind. I, have you ever done that? You delayed obeying God, hoping that he might just change his mind along the way. Abraham didn't do that. He went from point A to point B, sticking with plan A until God said it's time to shift to plan B. There's one instance when you should always, I, I want to I paint a character sketch of plan B. All right, because he's, plan B is not the enemy. He's not the bad guy. He's not the villain. He doesn't come in and ruin the day. He can. Sometimes he does. Oftentimes he has. But he's not this, this one character that always is a, is a plan B. Sometimes plan B is God's plan A. So there's one instance, and, and one instance that I can think of, you might can think of more, when you should always, always pursue plan B. 
when you've been pursuing plan A and then this one thing happens, you should instantly re-navigate to plan B. You want to know what that instance is? The instance when you should always move from plan A to plan B is when it's a call to obedience. If God is calling you to obey and you sense him moving you and, and you can confirm that there has been a God word released on your life to no longer focus on A but to focus on B, then you should always focus on plan B. God is not afraid of the plan Bs. Sometimes he gives you a plan A because he knows you won't even see the plan B until you're on the mountain. I feel like sometimes when our plan A falls through or we, we, we switch to a plan B, we feel like all of this time has been wasted. But the reality is God doesn't waste anything. He doesn't waste the education that you've invested. He doesn't waste the money that you've invested. He's, he doesn't waste the tears that you've sown. He doesn't waste the prayers that you've invested. God doesn't waste a thing. And if he's telling you to shift course, it was his attention, intention all along to get you to plan A, but he got plan B, but he got you to plan B because you took a bite on plan A. Are you following and so sometimes there will be a shift. Doors will open or doors will close. And I've had it in my own life where I just knew I was going to do this or I was going to be this or I was going to plant the church here or I was going to well, fill in the blank. I'm sure you've experienced it too. You just knew that you knew that you knew that that was a God thing. And suddenly the door closes in your face and you're like, what happened? How did I mishear God? What if you didn't? What if you didn't mishear God? You, you heard him, you obeyed him, and it brought you to the place where the door is now closed and you're exactly where he wants you. Plan A's do become plan B's. Some of us, by the way, I, I can't understate discernment enough. Discerning of spirits. We, we talked about that several weeks ago. It's the thing behind the thing. Some of us have dreams that God never placed in our heart. A discerning of spirit would be able to look at a, a dream that you have, a goal that you have, a plan that you have, and determine the spirit that sent it. That's discerning of spirits. I really believe that sometimes God will allow us to go on a path or a journey pursuing the plan and the purpose that we've created for our own life because he understands there's going to be a turning point at some point in that journey, where we give up surrender and control. So what are you holding? What are you holding that God hasn't placed in your hand? That's a question that we should be asking ourselves today as we're talking about the plan B. That's the one time when no matter what, if there's a call to obedience, you should move from plan A to plan B. Now I want to give you three moments when you should never, ever, ever pursue plan B. Okay? This is a good checklist. Anyone like checklist? You can make almost like Venn diagrams. You can make flow charts of, of, of this to know when is plan A, when is plan B. Okay? These are, these are three moments in life when you should 
Never choose plan B, all right? The first one is when you're worried. Do not let worry push you into plan B. God has not given you a spirit of fear, but of power, love, and a sound mind. Don't you walk away because you're afraid. Abraham could have. He could have chosen not to go to Mount Moriah with his son Isaac because he was terrified that God would require of him to follow through. But he didn't walk away. Don't, don't let fear keep you from pursuing the purposes of God on your life. Matthew 10, 28. says, Do not fear those who kill the body, but cannot kill the soul. Rather, fear him who can destroy both soul and body in hell. This is my daughter's favorite verse. Michaela's favorite verse. Matthew 10, 28. We're going to read it again. And do not fear those who kill the body but cannot kill the soul. In other words, um, don't, don't, don't fear men. Men that can kill your body, men that can, can kill your body but not kill your soul, don't fear them. Instead, fear him who can destroy both soul and body in hell. So who is that? God. God can in a moment kill your flesh and kill your soul. Fear that. You know what I found? The fear of God will deliver us from the fear of lesser things. When I fear God, I don't, I don't fear the exam. I don't fear the financial outcome. I don't fear the acceptance letter. I don't fear the relationship turmoil. Because when I have a proper fear of God, those other fears just seem so minimal. Those things that can maybe kill my body, kill my relationships, kill my finances, kill my security, my self-esteem. Those, those things, don't waste your time fearing those things. Fear God. If you find yourself wrapped up in fear of all kinds of things, what that should tell you is that your fear of God is not in its proper position. Romans 8, 38, 39 says, For I am sure that neither death nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things, nor present, nor, th nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus, our Lord. There is absolutely no decision you're facing today that has the ability to separate you from the love of God. That'll remove a whole bunch of fear right there. That, that will remove a whole lot of anxiety and a whole lot of, a whole lot of worry. When you're chasing after your purpose, chasing after plan A, weighing plan A and plan B, take a step back and realize that there is nothing that can separate you from the love of your creator. Nothing can separate us from God. And the big thing that our attention should be on, the, the big thing is the love of God, our relationship with him, fearing God over fearing men, fearing God over fearing outcomes. Anything less than that. I, I've had probably three conversations in the past two weeks with various people. And 
my response to them has been the same. Now, if you're number four next week, you'll, you'll know I've used this a bunch, and you'll be like, come up with something new, Pastor. My response to these people making some big decisions was, it's not as high stakes as you're making it seem. There are very few high stakes decisions that you're going to make in life. Changing careers, I know it feels like such a high stake decision, but, but it's not. If you don't like it, you can quit. Moving cities, moving home. I know it feels like a, a huge high stake decision, but it's, it's really not. You get there and you hate it, you come back. You might have to pay 12 months of rent first if you signed a contract, but do you know what I mean? Some, some things just aren't, aren't high stakes. Things that are high stakes are the things that can separate you from the fellowship of your creator. Sin that you allow into your life that brings you out of right stand, out of fellowship, out of communion, out of like just feeling close to the Father. Those are high stakes decisions. Cho- choosing who you're going to marry, because marriage is forever. That's kind of high stakes. The world will tell you you can change it whenever you want to, but God's word kind of says a covenant is a covenant is a covenant. So it's kind of important. That's kind of a high state decision. So, you know, go easy choosing to marry people, guys. Take your time. Take your time with it. Don't settle on the first one that says you can take them out. Jordan, just... I'm afraid, Sonny, that we're crippled with fear. We're afraid to take any risk because we're afraid of failure. We're, we're afraid of not being enough. We're afraid of what other people might think. Just, just take the risk. Do something new. Run, run after the dream. I know it feels like the world has fallen apart. Dream anyway. The world more now than ever, now more than ever, needs a church that can dream. A church that has vision, that can see beyond the next pandemic, that can see beyond the next mandate or the, the next isolation tactic that makes us afraid to connect. Like, we need a church that can see beyond that. We, we need people among us that were asking, hey, what is God doing in your life right now? What new things is he birthing? I know Jesus could come back today. I hope he does. But I hope in the final hour of my life here on earth that he will be birthing something new in me. I hope I'm never consuming yesterday's manna in the attempt that the world is ending, so why bother? Worry will keep you from your plan A, and it will try to get you to get to plan B. Don't let worry or fear be the reason that you shift. Can I get an amen? Did I? You got that. No worry. No worries. All right. The second moment when you should never pursue plan B Never. Don't even think about it. If you've got, if you're headed in one direction and you've got a plan B and you fit this criteria, don't even entertain the idea of plan B. It's when you are wounded. When you are wounded. If you're hurt, if you're offended, if you're angry, if you're grieving loss of a loved one, That is not the time to shift into plan B. 
your emotions. Listen, I know that we are sons and we are daughters, but the reality is we live in a fallen world and our emotions can get to, you know, turned sideways and we can feel different things. When we are wounded, that is not the time to give up on your dream. If you need to put it on a shelf and come back another day when you have the capacity and, and the grace to hope again, to dream again, that's fine. But leave it in the study on the shelf. Don't throw it away. Don't shift to a plan B when you are wounded. Unforgiveness is a wound. Pride is a wound. My counsel, in fact, I'll just say this. Maybe none of you will ask, ask this question in counseling. Um, I've had through the years, through the last 12 years, people always ask me how to know when they should change jobs. They're really upset at their job. They're upset with the work. The environment feels toxic and they're being blamed for stuff. You know, you can just kind of distill it into your own situation or, or what you've experienced. My response has always been the same. Um, don't leave wounded. Don't leave because... You're ready to walk away and give up. God will always send us out on a high, not on a low. God will send you out as a victor, not as a victim. And how you leave one place is how you will begin the next place. Which is why, insider secret, someone comes to church and says, I came from this church and they were nasty. I say, oh, okay, let's get you some healing. And I'm not saying that church hurt isn't real, but what you leave and run away from, you carry into the next thing. So make sure that you're not wounded when you try to pursue plan B. If you're feeling wounded, just know plan B is a distraction. It is trying to draw you lower than what God has for you. And the, the third moment when you should never pursue plan B, what was the first? The first was when you're worried. The second one is when you're wounded. And like a good Baptist preacher that I'm not, I'm going to give you another W. When you're weary. When you're worried, wounded, and weary. When you're tired, man, your judgment gets off. I know it does when you're hungry, too. But when you're tired, when you're weary, you're not the best version of yourself. Sometimes I think we don't need breakthrough, we need a nap. We're trying to fight in the spirit for things. And God is like, why don't you just go take some, uh, not NyQuil. That's probably not good. What's the natural something? Melatonin. He's over our youth. It's really hard for me to be gracious towards people like my kids or my wife or my dogs when I'm tired. Do you know, I just become a bear. And you do too. I know that you, even, even you happy person in the morning, you do too. You have your time. When, I know you, you like to think you jump out of bed and you're so happy and life is just full of lollipops and rainbows and cotton candy and you blare the music and... and you know, it's great, but then at 8 o'clock, you're a bear. By 8.30, when you start getting tired, we don't want to be around you. You were fun at 6 a.m., what happened? Let's carry that on throughout the day. When we get weary, we start 
looking for the easiest case scenario. I don't want to pursue plan A because that's a lot of work. That requires a lot of trust. It requires for me to really dig in my heels and to work. And I'm not seeing the fruit of it. So I'm, I'm, I'm tired. I'm getting weary. Maybe this career path or this ministry path or this relationship or this decision or this investment would be easier. I'll still see a return on it. And I don't have to put in so much work. Never, never switch to a plan B when you're weary. I saw a lot of that in 2020, 2021 in my ministry field. Pastors out there dropping like flies. Because of the lockdowns, the church is not meeting. I'm not talking about locally. I'm talking about globally. This has been a global attack on the local church. A demonic attack on the local church to withdraw, to isolate. There have been numerous pastors, numerous churches in our city that have shut down. Because people just stopped coming. People stopped supporting. Even the people, you know, we have a lot of people that still watch online and are very connected and they still give and they still sow into our church. They're very much a part of who we are. And and I love that about you. But not every church has you. There are a lot of churches that went under. There are a lot of pastors who called it quits. I personally know a pastor who Who really called it quits? But if we won't give up, if we won't grow weary, in its proper time, we're going to reap a harvest. So don't give up. Don't walk to the plan B because you're tired. I know you're tired. Go take a nap. And then get up again and go chase the dream that God has placed in your heart. I I know you're tired of, and you're feeling weary and you feel like it's hopeless. Go find someone that's doing something you want to be doing. Buy them coffee and let their, their excitement rub off on you. Let their vision rub off on you. Do something different. So when you're worried, when you're wounded, when you're weary, those are times that you should never pursue plan B. Now I want to give you my final point today. The one circumstance when you should not pursue plan A or plan B. Or plan C. Or plan D. Do not take another step toward any goal, any decision, any dream when there is no peace. Peace is one of our our built-in, like, diviner sticks to see where the water is, you know? Is that voodoo or witchcraft that I just referenced? I I don't mean, like, you know what I'm I'm saying. Just like that internal navigation, I got nervous. I'm like, that's probably not a Christian thing. Witch in the water or whatever it's called. I rebuke that in Jesus' name. That... Peace is nothing like that voodoo mess. But you know what I'm saying. It's like 
your your fish finder in the boat and you have a fish finder to see where all the fish is and that's where you drop your line any fishermen in the house any fishermen that have have used a fish finder you know what i'm saying okay that's what peace does for us now you should carry peace in all things i don't want i don't want you to misunderstand me to say that you're constantly running after peace like you need this plan a for peace or you need this plan B for peace. We don't run after peace. We carry peace. There's a difference. And we need to know the difference. Isaiah 26.3 says, You keep him in perfect peace. You keep him in perfect peace. Whose mind is stayed on you. Because he trusts in you. The reason I say don't run after plan A or plan B or this decision or that decision or that relationship or, or any of that when there's not peace because if you don't have peace, that's proof that your mind is not stayed on him. Your mind is fixed on an outcome. And anytime you elevate and you worship an outcome, that's idolatry. And so when you sense for a moment that you don't have peace, that you're running after peace, you pause. And you get your head back in the game. You get your mind fixed back on him because we have a promise that when our mind is stayed on him, he will keep us in perfect peace. If there's not peace, there is not a problem in your decision. There is a problem in your devotion. And of course, I can't talk about peace without quoting Philippians 4. Do not be anxious about anything. But in everything, by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. So you stop all pursuits when there's not peace. And you refix your mind on Jesus. Once the peace returns, then the pursuit returns. Will you stand to your feet? I feel, I feel a direction to pray for a couple of different people. I want to pray for you who your heart has grown stale. You wonder if it's even beating. You don't really feel alive. You're finding it very difficult to dream, to hope, to see beyond today. And you hear of all these things. I'm talking about plan A, plan B. And you're like, I just wish I had some options. I don't even have a dream. You feel like a blank canvas. You've got all the paints here and nothing on the canvas. And you don't even know what color to begin with. You just feel, feel stale and empty. If that's you, will you just wave at me? Okay, several, yeah.
So go ahead and just lift your hand high if that's you. I'm going to ask those standing next to these people if you could just either point your hand at them or maybe place a hand on their back. We're just going to believe that there's going to be a stirring, there's going to be a shaking. Father, right now, in the name of Jesus, God, I thank you that you are the ultimate dream giver. You are the dream giver. God, the dreams that you impart to us, they're not contingent on society, on circumstance. They're not contingent even on our own ability. They're not contingent on our finances, our intelligence, the clothes that we wear, the car that we drive. God, I thank you that even now, God, I just see little gifts falling from heaven into the hearts of your people, your sons and your daughters. God, I thank you that you're going to birth new dreams, new dreams. God, in the room, there are some old dreams that are coming alive again. God, you're, you're taking out the paddles and you're just going to give them a shock. You're going to revive the old dreams. Yes, Lord, I feel... I feel like we just need to repent right now for believing that those dreams couldn't work in this environment. Those dreams could not work in this economy. Those dreams cannot work in, in this cultural context of illness and sickness and death and disease. God, I thank you that those old dreams never died. They've never died. And we call them forward in the name of Jesus, in the name of Jesus, in the name of Jesus. Thank you, 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 Lord. Thank you, Lord. Alex, are you a journaler? Do you journal? Are you a writer? If you're not, I need you to start, okay? I want you to get a, get a fresh, clean journal. Your dad will buy you one. Get a, a leather-bound, whatever journal. Get, get one that's special to you. And I believe that, that the Lord wants to meet you in the pages of that journal. I just sense... I sense that he's been speaking to you subtly and you've kind of not attributed it to him. You've attributed it to changes that you're experiencing. Context changes. Your brother's leaving, your family's changing, things are just changing. Your family's changing, life is changing grade is changing, your age is changing, and God has been speaking to you in the changes of your life, but he wants to unpack it in the pages of your journal. So here's what I would like you to do, and I think Holy Spirit is directing this. I would like you to journal for 10 minutes a day, and I just want you to emotionally vomit all over those pages. Share what's on your heart. Share what makes you angry. Share the things you don't understand. And then after all of that, and, and you're only going to have about seven minutes of that, after all of that, I want you to write the words, but God. Okay? You're going to write, but God. And then you say this, Holy Spirit, what do you say about all of this? And then you just write what 
you think he says. Don't overcomplicate it. Just write. But God says he can be found in the change. But God says, I have a, a plan for my life. But God says, I'm not living in Tom's shadow. But, but God says, Mom, whatever it is that God says, I want you to do that. Will you do that? I also want to pray for I also want to pray for people who have multiple decisions right now. You're in a decision-making dilemma. You, you've had a plan A and a plan B. There's some decisions on the table that need to be made, and you just need the wisdom of heaven. You've got the passion, maybe. Maybe you've. I think the first prayer was for people that needed an infusion of passion. This prayer is an infusion of wisdom that comes from heaven. God says if we ask for wisdom, he'll give it to us. And so you've found that passion has now set you before um, the thrones of kings, before the presence of great doors. And now you're like, well, well, what do I do next? What's the door that I walk through? What's the next step that I take? If you're in the middle and throes of a decision, will you just wave at me? Okay, all through the room. All right, so if you're standing near someone with their hand raised, you know the drill. Let's just put your hand on them. These are some people who need wisdom. They need heaven to speak. Father, I just thank you right now that your wisdom is freely given. God, I thank you that we don't have to earn our way into wisdom. God, we don't have to educate ourselves into wisdom. Wisdom is something released from heaven freely to your sons and your daughters. God, I thank you for the passion that has been stewarded in our lives. I thank you, God, that you've given us dreams, you've given us hopes, you've given us visions, but God, now we need an abundance of wisdom that we may steward the passion well, that we can take the next steps that we need to take, take them well, God, that we can manage in the in-between, this unknown period. We're not, we're not sure exactly what's coming next, but God, we know that we don't want to we don't want to make a blessing that you've already made for us. God, I just thank you that you're giving divine insight, divine wisdom. In the name of Jesus, we just come against fear right now that's in the room. Any worrisome thoughts, you have no place in this decision-making process. And we speak to the wounds of our hearts, the unforgiveness, the bitterness, the hurt, the offense, the grief that we carry. We speak to the wounds and we say that you don't have a seat at the table. You don't have a voice in this decision-making process. In Jesus' name, in Jesus' name, we speak to those who are weary today. God, I thank you that they're going to get the best nap after church today, after Chewies and then church and then Chewies and then nap, that order. God, they're going to sleep so good tonight. These decisions are not going to keep them up. God, I just thank you that in every decision, your voice can be heard. It can be heard. We don't have to fight for your engagement in our life. We just have to surrender to it. We just have to give up control. In Jesus' name, I pray.